Hi. Hey, did real well. Great, great to be here again today. Just an honor to be able to hang out with you guys today. And uh, I trust you had enjoyed that extra hour of sleep. You look a lot better, actually, this Sunday <laughs> than last Sunday. So my name is Ken, and welcome to Grace Community Church. Those of you who are watching online, we want to extend our welcome to you as well. We're in a four-part series. We're in week two in a series called No, No Fear. And we've chosen a verse for this series. It's kind of like our theme verse as we work through the series together. And um, it's going to come up on the screen here at some point. No. Oh, there it is. Is it up there? Okay, I can't see behind me. So this is our theme verse. So let's, let's read it together. Can you do that with me? I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This is our theme verse for this series. And what we're doing in this series, of course, is we're just talking about the fact that um, we want to con conquer fears in our lives. Um, guys, I'm not able to get it to work. Oh, there it goes. Okay. <laughs> Tech. Such fun, isn't it? Um, so we're talking about this series about fear. And I don't know if you heard, there's a society in the U.S. called the Phobic um, Society of America. It's, for, it's got about 3,500 members. And these are people who are confessing to particular fears that really grip them. And it's this 3,500 member thing. And what they did is they decided that they would run a conference but only 200 people showed up at the conference for all their members. And that's because many of them were afraid to fly or afraid of crowds. And, you know, I, 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 I hate to say this, but I, I kind of chuckle at that. I, I know it sounds like I'm a little bit sadistic. Let's be honest. Fear is a universal experience that all of us have, right, in various ways. And in this series, we're not talking about those sudden fears like a thunderclap or a horror movie that make us bolt out of our seat. We're talking about those fears that can really grip hold of us, those fears that can paralyze us, dominate us. Our world starts to twirl around them. They seem to be in big control. And those are the fears that we're talking about in this series, and those are the fears that God wants to address. And that's why in Scripture, over and over again, it says, you know, do not be afraid. Fear not. Over and over again, it tells us that because God wants to address those issues in our lives. Now, last Sunday, we talked about the fact that God is faithful. And we said one of the key things that we need to do when it comes to living our lives so fear doesn't get a grip on us is remember that as we're driving through life and we see that pothole of fear ahead of us, that there's three directions we need to look. You remember this? The first thing we need to do is we need to look up. We need to remember that there's this awesome God who loves us, who is powerful, who's in control. We need to look up when we're facing the pothole of fear. The second thing we need to do is we need to look into our rearview mirror and look back at the promises of God, promises that I will never leave you or forsake you, that all things are going to work together for good. We look in the rearview mirror, we remember those promises, we pull them from the past into the present. And the third place that we look, not just up, not just back, but we look ahead, we look beyond the pothole of fear. We remember that Jesus, when he went to the cross, it tells us that who for the joy set before him went to the cross. And for us, we're going to look past the pothole of fear and realize that God's got a great plan ahead, and he's going to work everything out, and one day we're going to be with him, and that's going to be a glorious and amazing experience. So that's the, second the third place that we look. We look up, we look back, we look ahead. Now, today we're going to talk about the fear of failure, the fear of failure, which is a fear that can grip many of us. Nobody wants to fail, right? But the reality is that when we look at our lives, there are certain areas in our lives where we're saying to ourselves, you know what, I think I blow it there. I don't think I'm as good as I could be there. And you might be thinking about things like my money. Am I a failure with how I'm handling my money? You might think I'm a failure maybe 
with my vocation. I've got this job, and it looks like I'm going to lose this job, and maybe fear has gripped you around that issue. Or maybe it's a relational thing, and you fear that you're going to be losing a friend that maybe you've had this close relationship for a while, or perhaps as a spouse you're not being all you should be in your marriage, or maybe as a parent, and that fear of failure in that regard can grip us so tightly. When that kind of failure grips us, we have this, what we call the fear of the oughts. I ought to be better. I ought to do better. And that fear, that feeling of the oughts can really grip hold of us. Some of us have maybe grown up in homes where there was this high performance standard, you know? You don't, you got to get A, you get an A, well, why didn't you get an A plus? Or why didn't you live better? Why don't you do more? Why aren't you like so-and-so? And maybe we're constantly trying to achieve and we feel kind of overwhelmed by all that's going on because of that. Success means I'm valuable. Failure means that I'm worthless. For some of us in the room today, it may be that you have this fear that you're, you're not making the grade with God. Maybe you feel like you're a failure in God's eyes. I mean, he brought you into his family. He, you accepted him as your sin forgiver and your life leader. But there's this feeling that maybe God, well, I'm just not cutting it like I should. God wouldn't give me an A. Maybe God's disappointed with me. Maybe the feeling is that God is stuck on with me rather than stuck on me. That God, God sees me, but well, he's always got this kind of frown. And I'm just not so sure at the end of, of my life if he's not going to stamp failure on it. And, and so your relationship with God is maybe connected to this fear of failure in that way. This morning, what we need to understand is that we've got failures in our lives, but God has his amazing grace, and that whole dynamic of who we are with God and that issue of failure before him is what I want to focus on today, because if you're someone who's living with that fear that you're not living the way you could, there's this amazing thing called grace, and what I want to do this morning is I want to embrace the grace with you. Can we go to the next slide? They're just, they're just, there it goes, okay. Is it working for me or not? Can I... It is working? Okay, okay, good. Sorry. So, great. I'm going to embrace the grace. Can you say that with me? Embrace the grace. Embrace the grace. So, what is this thing called grace? Well, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That was a, that was a kind of a thing I learned as a kid. You guys pick up that one, God's riches at Christ's expense, which means Christ did something for us that enabled us to experience all these riches in our lives. God's riches at Christ's expense. Here's a better definition of it that I really like. It goes like this. Grace is the unlimited. So think about Niagara Falls, okay? This unlimited, unmerited, can't earn it, can't lose it, because I didn't merit it in the first place. Grace is this unlimited, unmerited, free gift of the favor of God offered to everybody. So God offers this to absolutely everybody, and everybody on planet experiences some measure of God's grace, whether it's the sunshine, the beautiful uh, you know, countryside that we live in, all those wonderful things, that's all part of God's grace. But it's offered to all, but only experienced fully by those who know they are undeserving of it, but still in faith reach out to receive it. There is a book that was written by Victor Hugo way back in 1862, and the book is called um, Les Miserables, and you may have seen the movie called Les Miserables, and it's, an, it's been in many, many movies, many, many contexts, and if you remember anything about it, you remember that there is this guy named Jean Valjean, who in France has been a criminal. He actually stole some bread to feed his family and ended up with like years and years in hard labor, 
and he gets out of hard labor and he can't find a job. Nobody wants to accept him. And so he ends up going and meeting this priest and the priest invites him into his home and feeds him and gives him a place to sleep. In the morning, he steals all this silverware, but he gets caught by the French authorities and they bring him back to the priest. And <clears throat> Valjean had said, said to the police, I, I, you know, he, he gave me these. And of course, they don't believe him. Here's this man with this beggarly man with this big bag full of silver uh, utensils, you know. So they bring him back before uh, the priest and, and the priest says, Valjean, you didn't take the candlesticks. You forgot to take the silver candlesticks. And he drops them into his bag for him. And Valjean is stunned. You know, his eyes are wide open. And he, basically what you have in the, in the movie is this act of grace whereby the priest is giving this gift undeserved, unmerited, in fact, exactly the opposite to Valjean. And then he whispers in his, his ear something like, now live out the grace I just gave you. And it transforms a man's life. He understands the grace that has been extended to him and it causes him to live differently. When I really believe with all my heart that when we understand God's grace, when we truly understand that his grace is unlimited and unmerited, it's a free gift of the favor of God, it's offered to all but only experienced fully by those who know they are undeserving of it, but still in faith reach out to receive it. Guys, it's not working for me, so I'm wondering if I can give a signal. Can I... I can try the iPad, let me try that. Ah, there we go, is it working? Okay, anyway, let's, let me keep, keep going here. So the Apostle Paul, when he writes letters, and he writes like 13 letters in the New Testament, he's really a prolific writer. Almost every letter as he begins, he talks about grace, 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 grace. Grace means that much to him. And at one point in 1 Corinthians 15, he writes this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And everything that I am is because of God's grace in my life. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, we read this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And what the author of Hebrews is really saying is, Make sure nobody fails to receive it. They don't fail to obtain it. And, or they fail to experience this grace. He's really saying, I want you to experience the fullness of God's grace in your life. And it's really important that we do that. So we must, we must embrace the grace. Embrace the grace. So how do we do that? Well, what I want to do this morning is talk about three ways we need to understand God's grace. Three ways we need to you know, receive it or experience it in our lives. Grace is really important. And the first way is this. God's grace makes me right. Can you say that with me? God's grace makes me right. His grace makes me right. This is absolutely important for us to understand that God's grace is the thing that will make me right. How I am I right with God? If I am right with God, it's only because of the grace of God. It's not because of what I have done or what I could do, what I've accomplished or may yet accomplish. It's only because of God's unmerited favor toward me. And we need to remember about that. Religions spell getting right with God with these two letters. D-O, D-O. It's about getting on the treadmill of doing a lot of things. I need to make sure I, uh, you know, the right rituals and rules and regulations, I need to perform them that way. And if I perform them, maybe, maybe, perhaps, I might, in fact, experience a right relationship with whatever deity it may be that I'm worshiping. But when you come to Christianity, Christianity is not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. 
D-O-N-E. It's done. So Jesus has done it all for us. It's not about me doing something. It's about what he has done. That's the beautiful thing about following, becoming a follower of Jesus. I, my relationship with him is something I rest in because of what he's done for me, what he's accomplished for me. And then we get back into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and here's what it says to us. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So how do I get right with God? It's all because of God's what? God's starts with a G, ends with race. What's the word? Grace. Yeah, it's all because of God's grace. That's the only reason that I'm right with him. That's important to, to understand, right? I do not come with a list of accomplishments. I don't come in any way that way. I simply come to him and know that his unmerited favor has been offered to everyone, and I respond to that favor, and I am made right with God. Nothing of myself I bring. Simply to Jesus I cling, right? That's really what it's all about. That's so important for me to understand. God's grace makes me right. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works. Now, you may be watching online or you may be in the room, and maybe you've heard this before, but you've never made a decision to step over the line of faith and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you think, I'm, I'm a failure. I can't make it. I know there's, I know I don't, I don't even, you know, I've got my own standards of right and wrong, and I don't even, I don't even go meet all of those. I fall short of those, let alone God's standards of right and wrong. And maybe you need to understand that God's love for you and his grace for you is the only way that you can be right with him. It's not what you accomplish. And if you've been, you're watching online or you're here in the room, wherever, whatever your life is, is going through right now, whatever you're experiencing, I want you to know that God loves you, that his grace is being extended toward you, and your response is to open up your hands and receive that grace and turn to him and say, I come to you and I, I offer you nothing. I know that I can't merit what you want to give me, and what you want to give me is absolutely incredible forgiveness, a forever relationship with you, and I'm going to trust in you for that. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. And just by extending your hands of faith, you can receive Jesus into your life. And if you haven't done that, that's certainly something that we would be praying would be your experience today. God's grace makes me right. Secondly, God's grace keeps me right. God's grace keeps me right. Can you say that with me, please? God's grace keeps me right. Here's a question I want to ask you. It's on this next slide. Do you believe, honestly believe, it's possible to live a victorious Christian life, or do you believe that you're always going to experience the defeated life? Do you believe that you can live out your life understanding God's grace in your life in such a profound way that you don't see yourself as a failure before God? Do you believe that's possible? Some of us have this idea it's this, what this next slide says. It's like, God's good, I'm bad, try harder. That's really how we live out our Christian life. God's good, I'm bad, try harder. And my whole Christian life is about trying harder, trying to please God, trying to satisfy God, trying to get God to give me an A plus on my report card for this day, let alone maybe not even this week, but hopefully for little stretches in my life. It's interesting that um, my failures brought me to a place where I realized I needed a, per imperfect, a perfect savior from an imperfect me, but I keep on failing, I keep on sinning, I keep on doing things I wish I didn't do. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. We read this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do 
what I hate. So here's Paul, the Apostle Paul. And what's he saying? I fail. I fall short. I don't always do what I want to do. I do sometimes the things that I hate. Anybody tracking with Paul today? Feeling kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting that this big, huge spiritual dude does not have it all together. We fail. We all fail, right? But I want to tell you, God's grace is so incredible. It's so incredible. Look at this next slide with us, okay? Here with me. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to compare Jesus. I want you to compare Jesus with Billy Graham and me. Okay, now when I say me, I don't mean me, I mean you, okay? You, you are the me on that slide, okay? You ready for that? Okay, so uh, let's compare the three of them, and let's talk about righteousness. Who, what is the percentage of righteousness that each of those be, people have that are on the screen? And, and, of course, you in your wonderful chairs this morning. Now, we're in church, so if I was to ask you what, kind of, what percentage of righteousness would you give Jesus, you're going to go with what? 100%. Good answer. Good answer. Okay, so well, there's Jesus. He's at 100%, right? And, and we know that. He's perfect. Can you, I mean, sometimes I just, I don't know if you do a lot of thinking about Jesus. I do a lot of stopping and thinking about Jesus and realize, what would he do here? How would he handle this? And then I think about things like, man, he never had like a bad thought. Like he never, like he never sinned in his mind. He never sinned in his attitude. He never sinned in his actions. Like, wow, what an incredible savior. What an incredible savior. So what about Billy Graham? What do you think about Billy Graham? Um, what, what do you think? Before I go to the next slide, I want to ask two <laughs> questions here. What do you think about Billy Graham? So Billy Graham was, uh, he's a pretty good dude, right? You heard of him before? Um, but I suspect that every once in a while, Billy Graham blew it. Would you agree with that? Every once in a while, maybe a little jealousy, maybe a little, you know, uh, you know uh, gossip, may, maybe a little, you know, not, not completely open like he should have been. I'm going to give him lots of credit here. And compared to me, I'm going to put him a little, maybe a little higher in terms of that status. So that's with Billy Graham. Now I want you to pick a percentage. Don't say anything. Just keep it to yourself. What percentage do you think about Billy Graham? And now here's the third one. What percentage do you think about you? And you may be thinking, well, on the way here this morning, I kind of lost it in the car, so that's an issue for me I'm going to have to work on. It wasn't me. It was the driver in front of me, but still it was me. Okay, it's me. Uh, maybe there's something else that happened this week. How would, you, how would you answer that? What percentage of righteousness do you have? Well, here's the answer. Look at the next slide. Billy Graham gets 100%. And so does me. You know why? Because of God's grace, right? Do you realize that you and I are as declared and treated to be as righteous as Jesus? Isn't that incredible? That's his grace in our lives. Look at the next slide. You are in Jesus Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our what? What's the word? our righteousness. We are righteous because of Jesus. What has God's grace done? It's poured that grace into our lives. We, you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, let him who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. Christians are supposed to be a bunch of braggers. What well, we don't brag about ourselves, what do we brag about? Our Savior, right? Because in our Savior, we are as righteous as he is. How beautiful, how wonderful, how special that is. So am I a failure before God? The answer is no. I'm as righteous as Jesus. Now, do I want to please him in how I live out my life? For sure I do. Do I want to walk in a way that honors him? Absolutely. But the grace of God is greater than my sin. And that's an important truth for me to understand. That And out of the fact that I'm as righteous as Jesus, I want to live in a way that reflects who I am, 
honors the one that I love, but it doesn't get me to heaven, and it doesn't make God love me anymore. It's all about the amazing grace of Jesus in my life. It's so incredible. Grace is received, not achieved. Grace is received, it's not achieved. That's important. You are, the next slide says, you are not good enough. You can never be good enough. You are more than good enough. I wish I'd rewritten this one in Jesus, and that's important for us to understand. Let's do this quote again. Next slide. Embrace the grace. Can you say it with me again? Embrace the grace. If you really want to experience what it means to, uh, for God's grace, you've got to practice on a regular basis. I'm embracing it for, for coming to Jesus. But not only does his grace make me right, God's grace keeps me right. And look at, let's go to the next slide. And then the one right after it says this, God's grace, what does it do? It grows me right. God's grace grows me right. So, all of you are followers of Jesus. Do you realize that right now, at this moment, God's working in your life through his grace to make you more like Jesus? Do you realize that? On a regular basis, he's doing that. Even as you're sitting here in church, he's shaping me in church. Yeah, he is. When I go to work, yes. When I drive on the road, yes. All the time, what is his grace doing? His grace is trying to make us more and more in practice like Jesus. That is so cool. You are a work in project, process. Romans 8, 28, you remember this verse? We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. They are the ones God has chosen for his purpose. God's always at work? Look at the next verse. Philippians 1, 6 says simply this. God is the one who began this good work in you, and I am certain that he won't stop before it's complete on the day that Christ Jesus returns. Wow. God's still working on me. I need to tell you that um, there's a little song I remember when I was a kid in church, and I'll try not to sing it, but it goes like this. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a truth that we need to embrace? So his grace makes me right. His grace keeps me right. His grace grows me right. The thing that stops us from growing is self. We get in the way, and we need to be broken of self and learn to lean into and trust in what God is doing in our lives. Look at this next passage of Scripture. For we do not want you to become aware, brothers, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here's the Apostle Paul saying, you know what, I went through, we, sometimes we think that God only grows us in the good times, and he doesn't grow us in the difficult times, or that God won't use the difficult times. But clearly Paul's saying that's what happened here. We despaired of life itself. I mean, some people, have you ever heard this little line that says, God never gives you more than you can handle? You ever hear that? That's not biblical. It's not biblical. God won't allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but he gives us lots of times things that are very difficult for us to handle. So we will what? Trust in him. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. I despaired of life itself. Look at this next verse where he talks about a struggle that he had, and he says this, but God said to me, he's gone to God, asked for help. My grace, listen to this, interesting, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest 
upon me. Paul is saying, I can go through these difficult times, but his grace shapes me more and more like Jesus. He's growing me, not just through the easy times or the times in between the easy times and the tough times, but in the tough times as well. God is helping me grow. It's incredible. What we need to do then is rest in the power of God and trust in his grace. Be aware of his grace. It makes me right, keeps me right, grows me right. She came to our church one day in the middle of the week. And sometimes people would do that, just come to the church and knock on the door, usually when they were really desperate. And she wanted to talk to somebody. She wanted to talk to anybody that she could talk to in the building. And so she, I was there, and uh, they called me and said, hey, Ken, there's somebody here who wants to talk to you. It's a, it's a lady. She's, she's know the church. She's never been to the church, but she's in trouble, and she wants to know if she can talk with you. And I said, sure, let's make it happen. So we sat down in a room. She was thin. She had long, blonde, curly hair in her m- mid to late 40s. Her eyes were really dark and circled, and she looked really not well. And she began to talk to me about the fact that she was an alcoholic. She was living with a man who was physically abusing her. And she was just so overwhelmed with life that she didn't know where to go. And so she came to our church to say, could you help me? And so I listened to her and talked with her and realized this was way beyond me. There's not, I don't know that I can come up with a great answer for helping her. But I, in my mind, I thought about a program that we had at our church called Celebrate Recovery, which is a program for people who are struggling with hurts and habits and hang-ups that have got a really big grip on their lives. And I knew that her struggle with alcohol, would be a, this would be an opportunity that would help her. And so after we had talked for close to an hour, I said to her, would you be open to attending a program that we have here? It happens every week, and um, it's a great place for you to go with people who are, are very much at a spot where you're at, where they're saying, I need help, and would you be willing to do that? And she said to me, I would if you'll go with me. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so uh, it came to that night, and I was at the door waiting for her, and she arrived. She came up to me, and she grabbed my arm with both hands, and she was literally shaking physically. She grabbed my arm, and I said, let's go in together. And so we walked into the, the program, and I sat down with her, you know, toward the back, and we sat there, and uh, she's still shaking and hanging onto my arm and went through the program, and eventually she drifted away from me and connected with other people in the room. And she started coming the next week and the next week and the next week. And then she would drift away and struggle and come back again the next week. And she came, started coming to church, her and the guy she was living with, and they sat right on the front row. And she was like, eyes wide open. And when you're a speaker, you're always looking for the people with eyes wide open because they're the ones that give you energy. So I would always look at her. Her name was Cindy Lou, and she'd sit there with her, with her, with her boyfriend right there looking at me. Bible on her lap was kind of like her seats. And I know exactly where they are in that church. And she would sit there and she would listen. And she went, again, she started grow, grow, grow. And, God's, and eventually she came to a point where she said, I want to put my faith in Jesus as my sin forgiver and life leader. And she stepped over that line of faith, just discovered God's grace. She'd never known that before. It started to transform her life. And I watched her grow and watched her mature and watched her get baptized and watched her really grow. And again, she would do some things really well and, and drift back again. She'd had such a difficult life. They could put a movie out about her life. And eventually she moved to another city with, to be with closer to her family. And she still continued to grow in the things of God. And then she, uh, she said to me once, she would come and visit every once in a while. And she said to me, you know what? I, went, I took a night class and I discovered that I'm an artist. She said, I never knew I was. And she, and she showed me some of her paintings. And they're just incredible. And all of them were related to God. She would write 
draw the lion of the tribe of Judah, and she'd paint this beautiful masterpiece. It was incredible what she was doing. And then she came to me one day, and she said, you know what, Ken? I think God wants me to be a missionary. What do you think? Do you think I could do that? She's now in her late 50s. And I said to her, well, let, let's, let's pray about it. Let's see what God might do. So this morning, Cindy Lou is in Zambia as a missionary. She's working on the street. She's working in prisons, and she's working on, on street kids, people who are living on the streets who are having difficulty. She's pouring her life into those kids. And it's all because of the grace of God. By any other standard, you would look at her life and say, there's no way in the world she should be doing that. It doesn't even add up. It doesn't make sense. But she knows God's grace. She knows she stepped over that line of faith and put her faith and trust in him, and that transformed her. And she's watching as God declares her to be righteous, even though she's got all this junk in her life. And she now knows that God can do some incredible things to her. He's grown her and grown her to where she is now ministering to other people out of a life that was basically nothing anyone would choose. Incredible. Second Peter writes these words. Look at this next slide. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Want to grow? Embrace the grace. You want to get stronger in who you are in Christ? Remember the grace. Bring it to bear in your life over and over again. I want to read something on these next slides that someone once wrote that I think is so important, so powerful. Look at this. The deeper I get into knowing and experiencing God, one thing becomes more and more clear. That is, all that I am, all that I ever have been, all that I ever will be is totally, 100%, a result of God's awesome grace. Every failure I experience causes me to humbly become more dependent upon God's grace, causing me to decrease and Jesus to increase in my life. Every success I have is not mine, but rather a result of God's grace at work in me. Can you say this? Look at the next slide. Spiritual success has nothing to do with me or the things that I do or don't do, except for the choice to both accept and live in grace or reject the free gift of rejecting God's, God and his love. I can't add anything to grace, and I can't take anything away from it. Here's what we need to do, right? We need to embrace the grace. Can you say that with me again? You ready? Embrace the grace. Embrace the grace. His grace made me right, keeps me right, grows me right. And we get to heaven, we're going to be singing a song. I don't know if you've heard of it. It goes like this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. And in the song, there's a verse that talks about fear. And it says, my fears are taken care of by God's grace. And I trust that that's true. That's true of you. I hope that's true of you. When you came in this morning, you were given a little packet like this. It's communion. And communion is a great thing that God has done or that Jesus has done to teach us or remind us of his grace. When you think about it this morning, as we're partaking of the bread and the cup, I want you to remember the grace of God, okay? That Jesus came, became human, walked among us, lived among us. And what he longed for us to do was to rescue us from our own mess, right? Our own sin. And in doing that, he gave himself on the cross for our sin. But before he went to the cross, he said to his followers, and he's saying it to you and to me today as well, I want you to take some time to remember me. 
I don't want you to have a big birthday party, although we do do that. I don't want you to celebrate in any other way. Here's a very special way I want you to celebrate. And it's kind of unique, isn't it? In a very tactile way. I want you to take a piece of bread and remember my body. I want you to drink some juice and remember my blood, my life poured out for you. I was completely human. That's what the bread reminds us of. And I was the perfect sacrifice, and that's what the cup reminds us of as we partake of it. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I just ask you to watch what we're doing. I wouldn't want you to participate in something that's not really where you're at. We want you to come along at the right kind of pace within your relationship with God. But if you were a follower of his, this is something he commands us to do. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? To take, and you'll notice there's a little bit of cellophane on the top, and if you open that up, there's a little wafer on the top. That's to remind us of Jesus' body. And then the cup is to remind us of, as I mentioned, his blood or his life for us. And we will together take the bread when I, s I give you the signal and take a moment to reflect on his body. God, fully human, came so that his grace could be poured out in our lives. And then we'll drink from the cup, remembering that God, Jesus, went to the cross and poured out his blood, his life, to, to deal with our sin. It's all been taken care of. So remember this morning, I'm going to give you a couple of moments just to bow your heads and quietly just think about it, and then I'll pray and we'll take the bread together, okay? So just take a few moments to quietly reflect. Heavenly Father, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And this morning, just now, we are going to take a piece of bread and remember that God the Son became a human being, fully human, just like we are, and that he took, he lived a perfect life, then he went to the cross, his body hung, hung there for us. And right now, together, we want to do what Jesus said, we want to remember his body. So as we partake as followers of Jesus of this bread, help give us a clarity around the body of Jesus and what it accomplished for us. In his name I pray, amen. Let's remember his body. Father, we thank you for the cross. What an ugly scene and what a beautiful scene at the same time. A scene that declared your grace was greater than our sin. Your grace was greater than our problems, our struggles, our difficulties. Thank you for going to the cross, for sending Jesus to the cross. Thank you for his death, which was the absolute sacrifice for any sin we have committed, are committing, will yet take, commit. That you've taken care of it all for us. And I pray that you would take this moment as we reflect on that sacrifice, knowing it's all because of your grace. Touch us deeply because of that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's remember his blood.